Mark chapter 6. Read the first 13 verses. And it starts with the word he, which is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Mark chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is, it, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marvelled because of their unbelief. And he went about making among the villagers teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if, in any, and if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Uh, is God's word for us today. I think um, one of the amazing features um, as we read through the Gospels, as you read for the account, the record of the life uh, and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the rejection of him by many who had great evidence of him. We're going to think about that today, of the, of the great works that he had done, and how he had taught with great clarity and with great authority. And when he taught, his, um, his teaching was authenticated, if you like, with, with great miracles. There was no denying the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ, they proved that this man truly was from God and was God. He was a man, yes, but he was no ordinary man. In truth, God had come in human flesh and had come to deliver a message for his people and to, and to bring salvation for his people. But what we see and we'll see today is that many reject that. Many rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to think today uh, about the consequence of wrong attitude to Jesus. And obviously as I typed that out, my spacebar wasn't working between G and A. But I'm sure you can read that nonetheless. Anyway, and there is consequences of that. What we'll, what we'll think about in this first section, there's really two sections for us today, is that... Is the, the unbelief causes astonishment. Uh, 
In verse 6, if you could just cast your eyes down to to verse 6 there. And he marvelled. That is the Lord Jesus Christ marvelled because of their unbelief. In fact, you could say he was astonished because of their unbelief. There was so much evidence with regard to him that he was absolutely marvelled, he was astonished at their unbelief. There's only two times uh, that we read in the Gospel accounts of our Lord Jesus Christ that he was, he marvelled, he marvelled. This is one of them. And the other one is, is a, a reverse situation, a far more positive marvelling. It was the marvelling at the faith of a, of a man, a centurion, who didn't have as much evidence uh, as these people had, but he had evidence and had knowledge, some knowledge of who Jesus Christ was. And Jesus marvelled at his faith. So it was two times, but this time it's very negative indeed, very negative. And so how does it come to that? Let's let's unpack that just a little bit this morning. Uh, Unbelief causes astonishment. We read that Jesus went away from there. That's Capernaum. He he had had done many great works. He had raised uh, raised a girl from the dead. He had healed a disease of a lady who had been diseased for 12 years. As he'd gone over from Capernaum, he'd stilled a storm. And also, at the other side of Capernaum, he'd made an unclean man clean. He was possessed by an evil spirit. And he comes from there and comes to his hometown of Nazareth. And it is very interesting, even in that, that our Lord Jesus Christ identifies with this town of Nazareth. The proverbial saying around those times was, can any good thing come from Nazareth? Well, you know, people, you can see, despised Nazareth. It was seen as a much lesser town. And what they did do, even the people of Nazareth, rejected the one who identified himself as Jesus of Nazareth. And the main emphasis that we'll see today is, as we go through this is, is his teaching. The reaction to him and his teaching. Him and his teaching are both tied up together. The Lord Jesus Christ's ministry was primarily, in his life's work, was a ministry of teaching others. Mark starts with that. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 1, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He came to preach, to proclaim, to herald a message. A message about God, a message about mankind, and a message about the way of salvation. And that really is the same message that comes to us today. Yes, in that sense, we don't have the Lord Jesus Christ with us in that same sense as he was then. But we do have his word. We have his teaching. And I guess, how do we react to that teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ? Christ. In our second section, we'll think how the twelve go out. The twelve will go out. They'd been trained up, and this was a little mission for them to go out. And the primary purpose of this is that they should go out and make a proclamation that they should teach. In fact, Mark records for us that is why Jesus appointed the twelve. Mark 3.14, he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. He might send them out to preach. 
And you might remember as we sort of go through the early chapters of Mark's gospel um, that he had called them that they might do that. He was training them up. And perhaps one of the most significant uh, training uh, aspects of their training was this, that they were taught. And we have recorded for us in Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the soils, which we looked at in recent times, what would be the reaction in this world to the word of God? to the seed that was sown. And if you were here some weeks ago, you would have thought about the different reactions to the word of God. And the disciples were taught that. They were given the meaning of this parable the Lord Jesus Christ taught. And he did teach there would be different reactions. Most of them, rejection. Most of them, in the end, really, rejection. And to some, there would be acceptance. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, we read, stands up in the synagogue. He begins to teach. Now, we don't have much in Mark's account of this. Uh, What did he teach? What was he saying at that time? But there are other parallel gospel accounts, and I'd suggest Luke chapter 4 is one of them. Jesus in his own town, Luke puts it near the start of his gospel, perhaps emphasising what would be the reaction to our Lord's ministry. And so what we read there is that the Lord Jesus Christ was given a scroll, Not a book, of course. He was given a scroll. He unwraps the scroll and he reads from Isaiah, the part that we would call chapter 61. Of course, that didn't exist in his time, so it was the part uh, towards the end of Isaiah, perhaps. And he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. A passage in Isaiah which spoke about a coming servant of God. A coming servant of God, sent by God. Then we read on in Luke's Gospel, it says that Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Lord Jesus Christ was saying, the one who was prophesied about in the book of Isaiah, the servant of God who had come, it is me. It is me. I am the one who is the servant. I am the one who is going to bring salvation. Look around at the evidence among you in this day. The blind are receiving sight. The cripples are walking. The lepers are being cleansed. The deaf people are having hair and restored. And even the dead are being raised back to life. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to those in the synagogue in Nazareth, you look at the evidence, look at the evidence all around, the works that I am doing testify to who I am. I am the one who is God, I am the one who is sent from God. I am sent to bring salvation for my people. Now of course... That's a bold claim that Jesus was saying that he was the promised Messiah. The one who was proclaiming, (coughs) pardon me, the year of God's favour. A time of salvation. And the people, 
Well, the people, it says they were astonished, doesn't it? But then really there was an attitude of unbelief. An attitude of unbelief. And I guess if we just stop there, if we could, just for one moment, and think how it is for us. We have here, we have the great privilege of of reading God's word together. We have the the witness accounts, the eyewitness accounts of those who were with the Lord Jesus Christ when he was here 2,000 years ago. Multiple accounts given about what he did. Even his enemies couldn't dispute that he did these miracles. And so we read these accounts, we read them together. And how do we react? How do you react to these things? Fables from an age in the past? Or true account of how God came and visited this world? Gave great evidence that it truly was God visiting and brought a message for his people. Well, the people, as we see, says they were astonished. And if we were to end the sentence there, we'd think, well, that's positive. But quite quickly, we see that's not positive. Because there are five rapid fire questions which they weren't really asking of him. Where did, the man, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? Why are such, how are such mighty works done by his hands? See, there's no, there's no doubt he did mighty works. How, how does he do them? How does he do them? What is this wisdom given to him? He spoke of wisdom. And he's just a carpenter. That's all they saw him as. Well, he, true, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ worked as a carpenter in Nazareth. He did. And he had, he was the son of Mary. And he did have brothers and sisters. More accurately, I suppose we could say half-brothers and half-sisters. And to them, he was just an ordinary man. And not one who was the Messiah. Not one who was the Saviour. And despite the evidence, as astonishing it might see to us looking back, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a low view of him. They had a low view of him. They perhaps had a familiar view of him. Even his own family did. You know, John records for us that even his own brothers were not believing in him. And they had a prejudiced view of him. He hadn't gone to the theological seminaries. He was just a carpenter. How is it possible that this one could speak such wisdom? He really was despised. And he was rejected. And you know, we, in one sense we shouldn't be surprised. Because again in Isaiah, Isaiah wrote in what we call chapter 53, that the one who had come who would bring the servant of God would indeed be despised. Let me read Isaiah 53. The one, the coming servant. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
And that is a commentary on how Jesus Christ was viewed in Nazareth, by and large, by the people. They esteemed him not. As a carpenter, a good worker, a brother to, to his brothers and sisters, yes, maybe. But not the saviour of the world, not the Messiah. And what we read is, verse, at the end of verse 3 there, they took offence at him. They were offended by him. They were offended by the real message about who Jesus Christ was. And their reaction, they were offended at him, is not uncommon today. When the true Jesus is presented. When the Lord Jesus Christ is just presented as that babe in Bethlehem, that cute babe who was born. Or or just a good teacher. He's kind of admired, yes, we like the story of Christmas. We, 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 We like the, the, the sort of moral teaching, that's good guidelines for life. But when he is presented truly as the saviour of sinners, people are offended at that. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When he spoke in in and John records it. John, John records how the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about receiving him to have eternal life. He spoke about you know eating my flesh, drinking my blood. He didn't mean that literally, of course, but the idea was that we must receive him in his totality, that we might have eternal life, that we might have salvation. And Jesus saw that the people didn't like that, and he says, do you take offense at this? John six sixty one. And still today, the cross is an offence to people. Because the cross of Jesus Christ teaches us this. That there is nothing that we can do to merit God's favour. There are no good works that we can perform to put ourselves in a right relationship with him. There is nothing whereby we can pull our socks up, if you like, to use that expression and and make God favourable to us on the basis that we can do something we're going to do. But the Bible teaches us that we are dead in trespasses. We're not we're not alive to God naturally. We're not alive to God, and 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 our sin deserves the condemnation, the wrath, the judgment of God upon us. And we ourselves can do nothing. Any works. But the cross reminds us that there's one who has died upon a cross and took the punishment for sin so that all who trust in him, any, can have eternal life. The vilest offender, the hymn says, who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. And the message of the cross is is a humbling message. Because it reminds us of ourselves. Teaches about ourselves. 
but it teaches us about God who will save. Now, to many that's an offence. And it was in the first century and it is in this century now. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified to Jews. Yep, we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. You know, this Jesus offends many. They took offence at him. And the Lord Jesus Christ then gives uh, a sort of proverb of that. Um, that a prophet is not without honour except in his hometown, you know. Um, the, the place where someone's going to be rejected is most likely his hometown. You know, and we could put it in modern parlance, familiarity breeds contempt. Or if we kind of think that's a bit harsh, we can take something for granted. Or someone for granted. Now that's true in life and we could spend a bit of time thinking about that. But as we think about the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I submit to you that it is possible to hear the message about Jesus Christ, about his grace, about his love so much, that it is no longer amazing grace. It becomes familiar grace. And we're no longer amazed at his grace towards us because we can take it for granted that's a terrible situation to be in obviously it's a terrible situation to be so familiar to the message of God's word that that you don't have the right response there's that hardened attitude in the people there's that unbelief what we read it says Jesus could do no mighty work it wasn't that he'd lost his power to do that obviously you know, he hadn't stopped losing his ability but the actions of the people caused his work to be limited and perhaps it was this that people didn't really come to him but perhaps it was this also as well that many had seen the miracles and he said well you've seen enough evidence there's enough evidence there is enough evidence and you know our unbelief the Lord Jesus Christ he is amazed at that unbelief an unbelief in an individual can rob us of the highest and greatest of blessings. Unbelief, now this is to all, Christian and non-Christian, speaking to myself. An unbelief in what God can do can rob us of the highest and greatest of blessings. Of course, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, then that is true for you. That that unbelief to bow the knee, confess that Jesus is Lord and trust him for salvation will rob you of of salvation, condemn you to God's punishment eternally in hell. An unbelief for me and others who are Christians can rob us of knowing blessing in our life. And the Lord Jesus Christ is amazed at that unbelief. He goes around teaching. But... And the message of the gospel is still going to go out. But what we see in this second section is this, that unbelief causes or brings judgment. In the second section we see that the Lord Jesus calls the twelve, the twelve apostles, and he sends them out two by two. That was their calling, that was their training to go out. They're sent out in pairs, which is great wisdom, it's really interesting. I used to think when I read my Bible I'd read in the book of Acts, you see, and I'd read the missions of Paul, the apostle. 
and I was thinking, and I had in my head that he was always on his own in places. Uh, but then I read a bit more carefully and found out very infrequently he was on his own. You know, mission work and taking the message out was often a team, uh, and as Ecclesiastes says, two are better in one. So the Lord Jesus Christ sends them out, he gives them the authority to go out. And that's true for any messenger of the gospel, being given the authority by God. And the authority actually comes from the word of God. The only authority that I have today to stand here today and deliver a herald, a proclamation, is this word that is from God to give that up. So they're told how to go, and also he tells them where to go. And Matthew brings that uh, a bit more detail. They're told to go to certain villages, not to go into the, where the Gentiles are or the Samaritans, any people like that, on this first mission, just to go out to the village where Jewish people were. Later on, of course, Later on, of course, after the Lord Jesus Christ is crucified, as he is raised from the dead, and as he ascended up in heaven, the message they would take would be to the whole world. And truly they would. Truly they would take the message about Jesus Christ and salvation to the whole world. And it's such an important message that they're not to get distracted. Um, there's very it's minimal baggage with them. Um, so I was kind of thinking they'd be right on an easy jet flight, you know, they don't have to pay anything extra, but they weren't doing it that way. Uh, just minimal baggage that they could take with them. We read of that. Uh, wear sandals, don't take two tunics, don't get distracted. You know, you go into a house and if they receive you, then you stay there. Don't wait for a better offer or hope something better will come up to a mansion down the road. Just keep there. Your mission is to not be distracted. Your what you're taking is to be minimal because you are going to go and teach. Now, he tells them what to preach. He tells them what to preach. And here's something significant. Not that anything else isn't significant, but this is especially significant. They went out, verse 12, and proclaimed that people should repent they pe proclaimed that people should repent you know, Mark starts his gospel by stating of Jesus, Jesus comes into Galilee, this is me quoting proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel now that's two instructions, but they cannot be separated. So if a person has truly had saving faith in Jesus Christ, is truly believing in the gospel, they have repented. So we can distinguish, but we cannot separate those two statements. And the idea of repentance is firstly to have a turnaround in thinking. A turnaround in thinking. And thus, that will be evidence in a turnaround in living. Firstly, a turnaround in thinking, and then a turnaround in living. Important to emphasise that. Many people can appear to have a turnaround in living. Uh, people can teach dogs to do tricks. And we likewise can be just taught how to behave. But unless the heart is changed, it's not a true... Repentance is not a true turning 
around. And the message of repentance is not just for this first century. It's not a word often used so much these days, I understand that, and perhaps even from pulpits. But when Paul stood up, the Apostle Paul stood up uh, in in Athens, on Mars Hill, he gave a message about the past, the present and the future. You know, God has overlooked times of ignorance in the past. God has given a day in, in the future where he will judge this world and he has proven that by raising this man from the dead. But the message for the present was this. All men, all people, everywhere should repent. And he later summarised his teaching ministry. This great apostle who went around all Asia and into Europe saying this, that he had testified both to Jews and to Greeks, as to everyone, there wasn't a different message for one group of people and then another. What had he testified? Repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Again, we can distinguish, but we cannot separate A repentance towards God. To think differently. We are told to repent of our sin. How do we think naturally about Jesus Christ? Well I can tell you when I was not a Christian. The answer to that was not a lot. Irrelevant is what I thought. But then... I understood by God's grace that truly Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. No one here makes him that, by the way. God has done that already, so we don't need to replicate that. We confess that he is Lord. He is the Lord. And we trust in him alone for salvation. And so today, that's the message still about Jesus Christ. There's repentance. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin deserves judgment and will receive judgment unless it is forgiven. Repent. Turn around in your thinking and turn to Jesus Christ. A man of old called J.C. Ryle said this, There are no impenitent people in the kingdom of heaven. All who enter in there have felt, mourned over, forsaken and sought pardon for sin. And that is true. That is true. And perhaps I need to emphasise that more when I preach. The necessity of repentance. And turning to Jesus Christ. To mourn over sin. And you know, let me just say this for the Christian, that's a, that should be a continual aspect in our lives. The Christian should repent. Martin Luther said that when he put those, for those who remember, not remember you weren't there, uh, 95 theses on the wall. You know, the first thing was a continual, the continual life of repentance for the Christian. We understand that. But we understand this, that our sin has been completely paid at Calvary's cross because we're trusted in Jesus Christ. And so there is this message of repentance. 
And, and what we see is that if, they, if people reject the message, then they reject the message. That's their responsibility. Shake the dust off your feet. Now, that seems strange to us, of course. Um, but we get the idea that they're leaving a territory, they're leaving a town. If they haven't been received, shake the dust off. They're not going to re-enter that. That's the idea. You, you, you've, you've heard the message, your responsibility, your responsibility to accept or reject. And then, as we conclude, he tells them of the real consequence of rejection. Now, if you've got a King James Bible, a King James Version or a New King James Version, your verse 11 goes on a little longer. And I'll read that in a minute. Now, if you're now sitting here worried and says, mine doesn't go on a little longer, um, don't worry, because if you were to turn to Matthew 10 and verse 15, which is the same episode recorded, that does have this in all versions. And this is what Jesus says, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against him. Then he says this, for it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, most of us here will know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah because of their gross immorality and continued gross immorality. There's a judgment came on them from God. They were, they were wiped out. But Jesus says... Well, there is a day of judgment. Yes, they'll stand in that day of judgment and be judged. And there will be that due punishment. But, you know, he says it'll be more tolerable for them than for those who have clearly heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejected it. Solemn, isn't it? To think that we often, you know, sort of look on this world and we, we think of people can think of immorality and all sorts going on and that will be judged by God well that, that's that's true that's true all sin will be judged but it seems the greatest condemnation will be for those who have had greater light and if we've got the Bible in our hands and we're hearing to a message, well, maybe not as well presented as it could be, but hopefully a message presented on Jesus Christ and rejected it and continue rejecting. There is judgment for that. Now, of course, it's the consequence of a wrong attitude to Jesus that brings judgment. But the message of the gospel is this, that anyone and everyone has an opportunity as an individual to repent and trust in him for salvation and to know eternal life. It's not just about escaping judgment and punishment. Of course, that is involved. But on the positive side as well, there's to enter into eternal life and know Jesus Christ is your saviour. So I trust that all of us will enter into that right relationship with him to trust in him and continue trusting 
and not have a wrong attitude, but a right attitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you for your word today. We think how your word brings a solemn message to us all, but it brings a message. Your word speaks with great clarity. We think how the Lord Jesus Christ marveled at unbelief. And there was another episode he marveled at the faith of one. Oh God, we would desire to be in the latter rather than the former. Help us to do that by your grace. We ask in his name. Amen.